This is Listen Up, Home Buyers, the only podcast offering home buying advice and tips from true buyer agents. And now, here's your host, Victoria Ray Henderson. My guest for Listen Up Home Buyers is the owner of Four Buyers Real Estate, an exclusive buyer brokerage in Massachusetts. This guest has been an exclusive buyers agent since 1992. In fact, she is one of the founding members of the National Association of Exclusive Buyer Agents. You'll know it as NABA and a former director for the Massachusetts Association of Buyers Agents. She holds a master's degree in counseling and is a certified exclusive buyers agent. Welcome, Rona Fishman. Hi. Hi. How are you up there in Massachusetts? It's actually really lovely in Massachusetts today. We've yeah. got we've got one of these rare, cool, um, clear, beautiful air, air, great air quality kinds of days. Oh, lovely. That is wonderful. And has your winter been uh, a tough one? Have, has it been difficult to be doing your job this, this last few months? Actually, Massachusetts, Eastern Mass, anyway, not Central Mass, but around the Boston area has been unusually mild. So what's ended up happening is it's actually rather pleasant out, but the inventory for the spring hasn't come out yet. So we're not as busy as we want to be. Right. That, you know, we're sort of all buyered up and no place to go. And now, uh, could you clarify where it is that you serve home buyers in Massachusetts? Well, we're based in Cambridge, and we've been in Cambridge since 2008. And before that, I worked for 13 years in Newton, which is about maybe six or eight miles south of Boston, and to, uh, slightly to the west. And then I have another agent, Barbie, who is up in Lowell, which is about a half an hour to the north. And we sort of work the whole area from Lowell to a little bit south of Boston and west out to about Acton. So you, you cover a pretty large area. Yeah, we've got, we've got six people. Okay. So um, each person has their own sort of area where it's closer to where they live and it's easier for them and they know it like the back of their hands. Okay. For those of you who don't know what NABA is, you know, Rona, since you were one of the founding members, could you kind of give a little history as to what NABA is and um, why you thought it would be a good idea to found the organization? Okay, well, it's, it becomes a personal story, which is the most important kind of story there is. Um, I was a teacher and a counselor. And um, at the point where I was getting pushed out of middle management because of budget cuts, I said, I have to do something that helps people in a way that has a beginning, middle, and an end, and sort of a finite accomplishment. Because I realized that when I was teaching, I was counseling too much. And when I was counseling, I was teaching too much. And it just wasn't a good fit. Mm -hmm. So I went into real estate while I was on unemployment after um, losing a middle management job. And, you know, I had been a clinical director and I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I met someone who did um, real estate, but he was a buyer's agent. So he belonged to the Massachusetts Association of Buyer's Agents. Mm -hmm. And in the first year that I was a buyer's agent, I actually spent a little bit of time um, doing listings. I did three listings in my first year. So and wait, I, how did how did that happen if you were with the Massachusetts Association of Buyers Agents? In, in the Massachusetts Association of Buyers Agents, they do what they call single agency. 
uh -huh. which is where you can in fact list within the firm but if a buyer and seller are in the same transaction you're going to um you're you're committed to um referring both of them out oh okay so if if i so when i had a listing if the buyer was somebody i was already representing then i couldn't do the transaction and i would have handed it would have referred it to another listing agent and to another buyer's agent. I didn't even want to do that. So we did single, what, what we call single agency in Massachusetts for about six months. And then we said, as of April 1st, any listing we have left, we're going to refer out and be exclusive buyer agents. So why did you make that choice? Why did you make the decision to do that? When I was approaching listings, I found that it was a lot of marketing and trying to get people excited about buying a thing. And that's antithetical to who I am as a teacher and a counselor. What I really want to do is sit down with somebody and say, you have this much money. How do you turn that money into something that's valuable in your life? And that's consistent with my skills as a teacher and a counselor. And being a listing agent simply was not. Right. It sort of was counterproductive to everything that, well, basically everything that you have had become at that point, which is somebody who wants to help and, and look out for and advocate for someone rather than trying to shove them into, uh, into what you have available. I'm not interested in being part of the mechanism by which property values get driven up. You know, I want my friends to be able to live here um, in an environment you know, the greater Boston area is a very hot market. So our property values are going up. Yeah. And I get to stem the tide of that one house at a time by getting yeah. somebody the best house their money is going to buy for them. And therefore, I'm doing real estate, but it's not in that world of, of greedy, let's make people excited and drive prices up. Yeah. No, I, I totally understand that. You know, it's interesting, Rona, as I've gotten to know you, um, I've been reading more of your blogs and your Facebook posts, and there's such a sense of social responsibility. I mean, anyone who reads anything that you write is going to know that you are not only advocating for home buyers, but you advocate for people. Um, and, and, it, and it comes through, I mean, in, in everything that you write and everything you post in social media. Well, real estate is about community. If you don't care about the town that you're selling houses in, you shouldn't be doing this. Well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you would hope that people would have a vested interest in the community that they're working in because they live there too. When I note the accomplishments in my life, one of the accomplishments has been to create a business where everybody in the business with me, all my agents, their lives are better and what they're doing out in the world is making their communities better. That's a wonderful way to run a business. And it's paying off. I mean, I just have the most fabulous agents and they'll do anything they have to do to get their buyers the best place they can get. We work together so that we all have work-life balance and nobody's burned out and nobody's you know, missing too much of their children's things and missing too much of life because buyer's agents work nights and weekends. Yes, we do. <laughs> and many of us are in partnerships with uh, significant others who work nine to five Monday through Friday. It takes right. a lot to make that work, but we sort of have a formula now. And our agents all make sure that the people who are new that are coming in figure out how to make time for their spouses, time for their kids, so that they're fresh. Because if they're burning out, they're not going to be the best for their clients either.
Yeah, that's exactly right. So when you're talking about your sense of responsibility for the community, um, I'm curious to know, do you have any kind of a formula that you pass on to your your agents as to how you evaluate the neighborhood, the property, and how you walk your clients through the process? The first thing is always where the where the client's life is so it before you even pick a community to move into if the client hasn't lived there before then they really need to spend time there so we suggest what we call the, the test drive sure which is that if um if the the particular client family has um children that are preschool we'd want them to go to a preschool tot lot and play with their kids there you know, figure out where the ice cream place is, figure out where the bicycle routes are, all the things that they're going to need to raise their children in that neighborhood before they even look in a house. Yeah, to make sure it's a fit. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the, fit, the fit is, you know, doing the things you'd normally do. You want to make sure you can do them in that community. And then the next layer of that is um, being able to know that they can get to all the things that are important to them. You know, does your commute make sense? Does your home life make sense? Is your trip to the things that are most important to you, does it all make sense? Right. That's a very concrete thing. Yeah. Then it's a question of in that neighborhood, how much house can you buy for the money that you have? And the balance of when you're buying a house, it's always about the amount of money that you can spend is in like one side of the weight scale. And then on the other side, there's three balls, size, location, and condition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've picked your location, you have to know what size and condition you can get and what that balance should look like before you step foot in the house. Then we go into the house and I've hired people who have an aptitude to be house nerds. My <laughs> house nerd is somebody who's interested in how the house is wearing. Mm-hmm. Because house, houses, you know, you buy a brand new house, three years later, there's something you're going to have to repair. Right. I hire people who look at it like a puzzle. Right. And figure out how did that wet spot happen in the basement? Right. Oh, there's a downspout outside that doesn't have a little elbow to move it away from the house and it's going straight down next to the foundation. We're able to point that out to people and then it's like, that's a $3 fix. Right. That $3 fix is one, though, that it can cause a very huge problem and an expensive problem if it has been that way for a long time. Right. And that's the thing is having the curiosity is one of the things I look at when I hire people and they care about their communities and we're all invested in our communities. So figuring out where you're going to live and what that community feels like is something you can't change once you're in the house. And then I have people who are house nerds and are curious about the way houses are aging, for right. want of a better word. And some of them aren't going to age gracefully. And we need to tell people this house is not going to age gracefully because it was, it was built at a time when people were throwing houses up before a recession. Yeah. We sort of know those problem things. I was in a house just like that last night, kind of been fit into a small little section of an older neighborhood. And it was built in the 80s. And I 
pull up and I look at it and it looks like if, you know, you blow on it too hard, it's going to just fall over. And we get inside and there isn't a piece of real wood in the house. Everything is just vinyl. And I mean, it was just, and it was put together incorrectly and you could, the staircase was off. And I just thought, I thought, how could this be on the market for half a million dollars? But yes, you're right. You've got to be able to have an eye for really what's wrong in a house, not just what's right. Uh, Dave is sort of funny. You ha- you haven't met met Dave. You've met a number of my my agents. Sure. But, but Dave Dave is very blunt, and and Dave will will sh- show a house to somebody, and they'll be like, "It's really nice," and then he'll be like, "Okay, now it's my turn to dash your dreams against the rocks." <laughs> and and he'll he'll say, you know, when I was in the basement, and I couldn't say anything because the listing agent was right there. <laughs> this basement needs a lot, a lot of work, and then he'll give sort of a, a, a quickie of what were the major things that he saw? And they'll be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And not- sometimes they'll say, I want it anyway. And then a home inspector will, will yeah. back us up on, on what, was, what was wrong and give them, give them an idea of whether this could be remediated or not. Yeah. You've mentioned wet basements a couple of times, and we have that problem here in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, and I, I think it's it's so common anytime you're in a place that's near bodies of water. But but is that, a, is that something that you, you are up against quite a bit and then kind of educating your, your buyers as to what you need to do to make sure that, you know, how to fix a wet basement? Yeah, we're, we're coastal. And like I'm in Somerville, which is, um, which is all moraine. So um, once upon a time when the glaciers were here, it dropped rocks about 10 miles to the west of me. And then after that, sort of sludge made the rest of this. Cool. So I'm on, I'm on clay and mud. Nice. You know, there's rock like a half a mile down. I mean, it's, you know, it's not, we're not a big radon area. We're a big wet basement area. Yeah. Then you've got the fact that we're in greater Boston where a chunk of our, of our housing stock, I don't know how much, but it's well in the three quarters or so range, were built right around the turn of the century. So we're talking mm-hmm. about 1900 to 1930. So these are old houses. These are hundred year old houses. And they have rubble foundation, which is just like rock and mortar below grade and then brick above it. So we've got a lot, every, almost all the basements are damp. Yeah. Yeah, we have so, a similar problem here. Yeah. And damp is damp. Damp, you can put a dehumidifier on it, keep your downspouts moving the water away from the house, and you can live happily ever after. But then there's wet. You know, we've got enough, enough of a water table that there are some houses that will get water every single spring yeah. unless they have a sump pump system. Right. And then you're beholden on electricity. So if you don't have a battery backup, your sump pump's not going to work if the power goes out. So that's not cheap, but it works. And we'd rather see a working sump pump. Yep. Than nothing at all. Than nothing at all. Yeah. But we, what we don't want to see is a sump pump system that can't keep up. Right. Right. Then, then you've got a sump pump system. You've got somebody who already tried to fix it and it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and one of, you know, there's a number of houses and I have sort of a memory like an elephant for houses. So um, I had a colleague who's, who's no longer worked, uh, already retired, who um, used to call this house the Incredible Sinking House. <laughs> and it was in Cambridge. Uh-huh. 
it was on it was on a, a clay kind of soil so the foundation would crack every six or seven years wow and the house was crooked and every you know and then somebody would buy it and then three or four years later they would put a bunch of money into it to fix it mm -hmm. and three or four years later they put it back on the market with all the documentation of what they did to fix it and the new people would move in and the foundation would crack again oh god <laughs> and then they would document how they fix it and and this is hilda silverman who's who used to work with me called that the incredible sinking house oh my god and, and it every three or four years it's still going every three or four years somebody oh would somebody gosh. sells it and they had this engineering report about how they fixed it and how yeah. you won't have any problems anymore <laughs> oh my gosh and it will crack again and yeah. there's a, another one that i handled that was on top of a lake that was filled in oh and that doesn't sound good it was not good so the foundation <laughs> the back wall foundation was at least 15 degrees off straight and the first owner one owner put in like another wall next to it like another foundation next oh to yeah it. i've seen that back. yeah and that cracked oh my gosh and the owner that that my client was buying it from um put in steel rods that went 150 feet into the ground and did and that, that solve the problem well he the owner was claiming that it solved the problem and he had an engineer that said it solved the problem the buyer looked at it and got another engineer to look at it and said and the engineer said that might solve the problem but then again it might not <laughs> well that's not good enough right oh gosh i mean the owner who was selling it spent two hundred and fifty thousand dollars putting these oh, two rods in wow and sounds like sounds like they should just raise the property and maybe turn it into a park i don't know you know bring just, the lake back yes exactly the lake would be very nice it sounds like it um, you know I know that the whole Boston area, um, you know, kind of dodged a bullet with Hurricane Sandy uh, several years ago. Oh, yeah. But it was a bit of a wake-up call for everyone there. How much do you talk to your clients about not just these wet basement issues, but the actual fact that, you know, the sea levels are rising? And um, It's not as germane for us because we're, we're good, you know, we're good 20 or 30 feet above. Fairly unusual that we're selling property that's actually in flood zones that's great most news of, most of our most of our properties that our buyers are approaching are not in flood zones and when they are in flood zones it's frequently river flooding hmm. and generally the house has to be astounding to be worth it yeah because yeah. the thing is if you're even near a flood zone 10 years from now you're going to be in a flood zone yeah oh yeah I mean, and and we do, we do discuss that and a lot of the flooding that we see here the street flooding that we see in our area is mostly a matter of bad infrastructure yeah well and a lot of our communities are getting serious about that so um a little bit closer to the water that that is much more in their face yeah i By bet the time you get to cambridge somerville and west of that um, we're sort of on solid ground. Rona, you know, getting back to the roots of NABA and why you decided to, to make the decision to be one of the founding members, can you talk a little bit more about what motivated you to do that and how it works for you today? Uh, sure. Okay, NABA, 
you know, again, I very, very quickly as a, as a real estate agent, I realized that I, I didn't want any part of the greed is good mentality. Right. Um, and that, you know, if I had to, if I had to swim around in that, I would have gone back to teaching because I like teaching. I liked counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, you know, that, that's a first no brainer start is that if there's a national organization that's talking about doing this process that I love, which is talking to people and saying, what do you want in your life and how do you want to use your money to enhance your life? Mm -hmm. And now I can be your ally in making that happen. I could spend the rest of my career doing that. And that's what I did. Yeah. Um, so once there was a national organization, it just expanded on something I had already grown to love because the Massachusetts Association of Buyers Agents was one of the early state associations that pushed for a national association. So there was Massachusetts and Colorado and California and I think Texas. There were state organizations that were fairly strong. And you're talking back in the early 90s, right? Yeah, early 90s. So I started in... 92, and this was a couple of years later. The people in NABA were incredibly generous. I mean, theoretically, we're competitors. Right. But our sense was there's enough to go around. If we explain to people what we're doing, we're going to have enough buyers to go around. It's such a wholesome concept. I don't think a lot of people really understand. You know, certainly a lot of other agents don't really understand it. But I can I can see why so many um, of the neighbor members would be drawn to this business model. Some of the people that I learned from were just the most brilliant, generous, lovely people. That's and great. They brought me along in this. And I'm sort of paying it back with my, with my newer agents. I mean, I have, I have millennial agents. I have Gen X agents. And they're all getting the benefit of people who, if they were still alive, would be like 95, 100 years old. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, there's just this wisdom that I've got by being a neighbor member. Some of it's technique, but a lot of it was about just globally looking at what's a wholesome way, what's a generous way to guide people into houses that are going to make them happy. Yeah. And that's the goal is, you know, people come with their own money and their own budgets. How do you turn that budget into something that's going to support your life? Yeah. How's your family? What could be more important? Yeah, that's true. And, and it's such an education process for buyers um, all along the way. There are so many layers that have to be understood. All these things that they're, they're serious considerations. Yeah. And, you know, and we're, we're pretty blunt about what's wrong with a house. So it's, yeah. it's sort of, the buyer will say, this house is, you know, this house will suit me. I can fit my life in that house. Mm -hmm. Next question is, is this house worthy of you? <laughs> yeah, that's a or great question. The, or have, has the previous owners really beaten it up too much? Yeah. And what's it going to cost you to make it worthy of you? And, you know, we don't want people to, to buy things and be over their heads. I mean, I can, I can say I've been through three recessions and I, I have zero foreclosures. That's something I'm proud of. Yeah, my that's wonderful. My buyers don't overbuy. My buyers don't buy and then need to move in a year. Basic economics says that whatever goes up must come down. Mm -hmm. And we in this area, in the, in the greater Boston area, we're going up in an unsustainable clip. So the last recession, which was a huge one, which a lot of people got hurt in, around here we went up 
you know, we went up and up and up and up and up in a way that was not sustainable. And then we receded 12 to 14%, depending on what you're measuring. Yeah. And then after two or three years, it caught back up to where it would have been. So our recession lasted, I think it was about six years. Buying right now, people shouldn't be so afraid of recession as much as they should be very clear about getting something that's really going to suit them, that they can stay in if they have to stay in it and not have to move in the middle of a recession. If you're not moving and you're able to pay the mortgage, the recession doesn't mean anything because five, five years later, it's going to be fine. A good note to end on. Rona Fishman is the owner of Four Buyers Real Estate and Exclusive Buyer Brokerage in Massachusetts. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're entirely welcome. It's really great to talk to you. You've been listening to Listen Up, Home Buyers, the only podcast offering home buying advice and tips from true buyer agents.